RadioNX.TV on the Cool Groove site. You are listening to Warp and Wolf Radio. And each and every Wednesday morning, Dr. Mark Echo, Harold H.P. Bell, try to connect wisdom and knowledge on this platform. Doc, how you feeling, partner? Oh, man, we are going to move it and shake it I today. The, 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 <laughs> boil, the boil is on already, and uh, we're talking gentrification today. And uh, I think this is going to be a great conversation. It affects each and every one of us. Uh, everybody out here listening to the cyber world um, is affected some way, some form, somehow um, in gentrification. Real quick, as we uh, go to our musical interview, as you like to call it, <laughs> uh, tell them a little bit about Comenius and yeah, uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Sure. So Comenius, uh, what we do on the campus of IUPUI is create a bridge between young Christian students coming out of high school, going into college, and addressing their academic intellectual questions from a Christian point of view. We meet students there a couple days uh, a week, every week, uh, during the school year, have all kinds of fun stuff, including upcoming movie nights at Eccles House, which is going to be a good time. Warp and Woof means the vertical horizontal threads that make fabric. It's Colossians 117. By him, by Jesus, are all things held together. We are looking forward to this discussion today. And speaking of holding it together, Jim Streetermeyer, Neighborhood Fellowship Church is in the house. Corey Johnson, we're going to have Wendy Cooper join us in a moment. Of course, Dr. Mark and Harold H.B. Bell, Stick and Stay. Uh, we'll be right back after this next song. Enjoy. Tell somebody to tell somebody. RadioNext.tv, you are listening to Warp and Wolf Radio. Dr. Mark Echo, Harold H.B. Bell in the house with some great guests. Corey Johnson, how you doing, sir? I am wonderful. Introduce yourself, please, and let the people know who we're speaking with today. Uh, I am Corey Johnson. I'm the senior pastor of Nehemiah Bible Church on 10th and uh, near 10th and Royal, actually on the corner of 11th and Oxford. Uh, been ministering in the community since 2001, working with children. And uh, I also grew up near 34th and Sherman, so I'm kind of a kind of a permanent fixture in the community, I guess. What up, Corey Johnson? 30? Yeah, you know, we gotta get this in. 34th and Sherman. I grew up on 34th and Grand, man. Come oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little bit behind my time, but anyway, you know, yeah, yeah. we got a lot to talk about today. Yeah. Jim Streetelmeyer, introduce yourself, please. I'm from Neighborhood Fellowship. Uh, we're the church. Next to Corey's, uh, next to Nehemiah Bible Church, we're in Neighborhood Fellowship, and we've been in that neighborhood for 20 years, uh, and a number of us grew up at Wheeler Mission. We looked around as young adults and said, where are all our friends? We thought we'd take away their excuses and uh, bring them back into church and see the gospel go out in lots of ministry forms, and we try to love our neighbor as ourself i love it i love it and uh, the beautiful the fabulous <laughs> come on wendy how are you i'm great harold how are you <laughs> you know how i do this man every day is the sunshine it's so. always good yes it's good. well dr mark you called this uh uh come together meeting yeah it's your show man i'll tell you the gavel's coming down look out here we go so we got a whole list of questions here, and uh, who knows, but we might, might only get to the first one, depending on how this thing takes <laughs> off. Uh, who knows? Uh, we're just pri uh, privileged and thrilled that y'all uh, made it here this morning. Thanks so much for being here and for your participation in this really important issue. So <clears throat> uh, just to begin, uh, yesterday at IUPUI when I was on campus talking with students, uh, one of the uh, whiteboards in uh, the student center 
uh, had as their question, uh, what is the problem with gentrification? So here we are. They are dealing with it. They had a marginalization discussion last evening. Uh, and now we are dealing uh, specifically with this question. So it's really important always to define terms. Let's do that. Let's define gentrification. And as you do define that and as you talk about it, please immediately connect it with other issues that might impinge upon it, however you see that happening. And it might be different depending on the world in which you live. So, uh, Wendy, why don't you start us off? Gentrification, uh, issues surrounding it, what do you think? Lots of issues surrounding it. <laughs> uh, let's see if we can uh, work with some definitions. Um, I'm an affordable housing developer, so I sort of see things from that point of view. Um, and so I would say that gentrification occurs when um, a neighborhood um, plummets first and then on the rebuild um, becomes so attractive to a new um, buyer um, that um, oftentimes the people that have lived there through the plummet are no longer able to afford to live there. Mm. So I think the... Uh, one of many challenges is how do we um, create healthy neighborhoods um, and how do we get to creating economic opportunity in neighborhoods where there has been the plummet, where there's been mm. the, the uh, um, all of the economic opportunity has, has left the neighborhood. How do you bring that back and allow people to still remain in the communities that they consider home? You know, each one of your comments deserves a whole radio show by itself, honestly, <laughs> seriously. So, Corey, I, I noticed your hand went up there at, at one particular point. Jump in on this one. Yeah, when she said economic development for the people, I, I don't think that you can have this discussion without talking about the fact that everybody, if, if you talk to someone and you ask them to describe what they want their neighborhood to be, they will unconsciously describe the suburbs. You know, so, it, but in order to do so, there are, they have to be able to afford the upkeep on their homes. They have to be able to afford what it, what it takes to have what they're dreaming of. But the problem is there's not enough money. Hmm. And, you know, there's not enough income. So, so systemically, if, when I look at this and I go back far enough, one of the things that jumps out is people have to make a living wage. There has to be economic equality, if you will, right, so that the neighborhood that's coming is something that they can enjoy, is something that they can live in. Because I, it, we, and we were talking about it while we were listening to the music. Uh, once the neighborhood changes, then the taxes are going to go up. I mean, it, it, it's just, it happens. And they won't be able, whether or not they're part of the redevelopment or whatever is going on, once those taxes go up, many people, if their income doesn't change, they won't be able to afford to live there. Mm -hmm. So that's why my hand went up, because it's, it's necessary. It's, I don't know how you're going to have the discussion without, without dealing with that. Without dealing with the economic issue. Yeah, you, yeah. you have to. Okay. You, All right. you, you have to deal with it. Parallel roads here. Jim? Well, we often use gentrification when we're concerned about the needy. Others call it progress. Um, others call it redevelopment. And there's a truth about both sides uh, in any conversation. 
But the thing that disturbs me about Indianapolis particularly is last year, um, both Gary and Indianapolis were vying for the worst mortality rates in the country. Um, uh, Gary, Indianapolis won. We have the worst uh, life expectancy in the country right now. So when we're redeveloping property, but not redeveloping people's lives, mm -hmm. we've got the, the cart before the horse. We've got the important thing in front of the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And caring for people is always central. We, we do want less crime and more amenities and uh, beauty and that sort of thing. And so there are people who have figured out how to care for those who have um, economically disadvantaged folk in their community and bring some development, but usually you got to pick one or the other, and that's the problem. When you pick one over the other, um, I think you've got to pick caring for the people that are already there. Okay. Uh, Wendy, he, he brings up an important point, uh, and I, I suspect since we have two evangelical pastors sitting here that we're talking about churches, and so when you think about economic development, you know, the housing issue and so on, the folks with whom you work and, and those that you represent in the city, how important is the development of the infrastructure of churches in any community? Is that part of the conversation at all when Jim talks about developing the people as much as the infrastructure? I think it is part of the conversation with um, activist ministry. Um, I think that there is a place at the table, and I think that, that churches are really um, instrumental in um, supporting and forming our communities. So I think that that is a, an important conversation. I think that um, the point that Jim brings up is, is part of the challenge. Um, one of the things that I see continually is in neighborhoods um, that are either in decline or have been challenged with disinvestment is that the churches seem insular. Well, or they leave. Or they leave. Or they yes. leave. Or oh. they leave. And then I think the other challenge, and I think that's inherent with with churches, is oftentimes um, in this day and age, people don't worship in their neighborhood. Mm. They, you know, and so they they come in on Sunday or Wednesday night or Thursday night or whenever it is, a couple of times a week, and then they drive back to a different community. And I think that. Um, you know, that's just a sign of the times that we live in. Commuter church. Commuter church. And I think that's real. And I think that part of the challenge that uh, of churches that I would love to see um, are churches that do, that really embrace the communities that they reside in. Mm. Um, and I think that sometimes, not always, um, but sometimes churches... Um, are welcoming to their community, to their congregation, and to the people who are associated with that. And they're in the middle of the hood with straight madness at their door um, that they either ignore um, or they're not equipped to, to deal with. Or actively shut out. Or actively oh. shut out. And Harold has given me the head bob over here. No, so. no, because I, I got left out on that gentrification <laughs> thing. <laughs> no, because, you know, my, I, I love when I, when I teach my young people, I tell them to have a base 
point? You know, where, where's your base point uh, when you're making a, a statement? And, you know, the definition is always the place to start. And gentrification says the process of renovating and improving a house or a district so that it conforms to middle class taste. Right there, right there, when we start talking about that, whose taste, mm-hmm. number one, in your neighborhood are we talking about? Um, and, and so, the, you know, Corey and I were talking off air, and, you know, I think it gets flat out down to economics and taking advantage of people who are disenfranchised and who just are unaware of um, a progress that might be coming to a neighborhood where they have ownership. And now we're going to trick you not to have ownership or we're going to bribe you to not have ownership because you don't know. Uh, what's coming? That that's that's uh, my take on the near west side <clears throat> when uh, uh, Washington became more Spanish speaking. No one called that gentrification yeah. because it wasn't. Uh, it, it was a change, and there was a, a new taste mm-hmm. involved. But what what happened was, uh, uh, well, people weren't or didn't feel forced out at that time. And it didn't have public value or, or value to the municipal, so to speak, in a way that the Lucas Oil Stadium or the Banker's Life or that. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, Jim, because I think um, in the conversations around gentrification, we don't often look at the chains of, of race. Right. And I think that in most conversations around gentrification, we're talking about... Um, it is a class issue, but oftentimes it is a race issue. Um, neighborhoods that have been traditionally African American, um, uh, where property values have have uh, diminished, and then younger white pioneers come into the neighborhood, and the neighborhood starts to change. And usually, that conversation around gentrification is what does it look like when it transitions from a a historically black neighborhood to something that is either more diverse or to a white neighborhood. Uh, So example being Indiana Avenue, uh, Ransom, um, uh, let's see, the gardens, (coughs) what's their first names? Uh, Ah. I should know it. Lockfield. Lockfield Gardens. Lockfield Gardens. Yes. 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 Uh, Right, right. There's been this grand shift and you can see it in the faces of the people there. Correct. So I I think that's an interesting conversation uh, around a large Latino um, population moving in. Or Chin. Or Chin. And and then and that that's not labeled gentrification because it's a colorful transition, I guess. Um, And I think that I think that's an interesting point. I think I would say that around like what's happening with Lafayette Square. That's not, I mean, it's a commercial district, but what's happened is, you know, people um, of color from around the world have purchased or renting and making um, very thriving businesses in low rent, in a low rent district. And now it is becoming a very um, culturally rich um, place in our city. And so I I think that's a, that's a, uh, interesting conversation that doesn't usually get mentioned in I this dialogue. I was eating there yesterday and having Vietnamese food. We were Indian or Vietnamese? Yes. Well, yes. it was oh, yeah. Vietnamese. Right. So let, let me let me jump back in because um, it's kind of hard to have this conversation without circling back around the church issue. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, when 
when the church is in the neighborhood. So a lot of times in the inner city, the church can be viewed as a parasitic organism. Mm -hmm. This is what it's, it's here to take, take, take versus a church that is there to engage with the community. And the goal is not to leave the community. If you want to talk about someone with an agenda to change the neighborhood, it's the church. Mm -hmm. Let me put it this way. It should be. It better be. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the, uh, the agenda is to see people change, watch their value sets transform, falling in love with the Messiah, then in turn loving their neighbors, mm -hmm. making it where now helping the person next to you is not a uh, is not one of those things that's requested of you is one of those things that by our master the Lord Jesus Christ is required of us mm -hmm. so it's it so when you when you were, when I talk about the economic transformation I know that most of this conversation is going to be around what the world is doing but I am talking about the church and the people and the transformation this is not um, prosperity gospel this is you have a real value set when you talk about employers they're looking for what are called soft skills those soft skills are the basics of who we are as believers hmm. so when you transform the people in the community their value sets begin to change they become more valuable they start to so my money doesn't go to cigarettes it doesn't go to drugs it doesn't go to alcohol it's going into taking care of my property it's going into making sure that my children are properly fed and clothed they're getting their education i'm really narrow-minded i believe every kid should be able to read and read well because the primary tool in the church is the bible so i'm kind of narrow-minded that way it's important that this is a part of when you start looking at reading reading tests to determine how many prisons to build yes. this mm -hmm. this is a problem right pastor we going to take a break oh, okay. <laughs> no 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 because you're serving you're serving some hardcore meat to these listeners yes and in this gentrification process, I think we need to start serving a little milk because you're getting I mean, I'm with you 100 percent on what you're saying. But where we have to start is where the people are. And most of them are not as deep as that. So we have to get back at it. When we come back, Pastor Corey Johnson, we're going to let you continue to preach. You are listening to Warp and Wolf Radio <laughs> on the Cool Groove site at RadioNext.tv. Radio Next TV. Dr. Mark is gonna take your show back over, man. Oh my word! I tell you, I just texted my wife Robin. I said we got a barn burner today. Oh my! I tell you what, this thing is heating up real good around the table. We've been having a great conversation off air. I just want to add my two cents, literally, before you know it gets taken over here again by these good words, uh, and that is as Christians. One of the issues that we uh, constantly face is, will we let the culture lead or will we let the gospel lead? And I think there's where we need to consistently come back to uh, and we need to address every single question and issue from that vantage point. But let's get back to, uh, Corey, you were talking uh, before we went on a break here about reading, and I celebrate your narrow-mindedness, by the way. Uh, my wife is a second-grade uh, mm -hmm. teacher, 
Uh, I've been an educator for over 30 years. Man, reading is what it's all about. So let's start back there again and talk about the importance of uh, developing people. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that that's interesting is we got a chance to see value sets in their raw, naked form. So we do uh, we do a food pantry out of our church feeding the community. We do about 2,000 uh, servings a, a month. And we were like, you know what? We're going to do a dignity project. We're going to make it where these folks don't have to come here and we can change their world. So we came up with uh, this program. I got with an employer. We made the decision to shuttle people to work. Uh, so we were going to take away the uh, the problem of transportation. And, and I said, you know, they've got to have a living wage. So we connected with a resource where they'd be making like 14 some odd dollars an hour. And we put it out there and we ran this program for, I don't know, three or four months straight every week telling the folks about it. We had five people mm. try it. And that was out of the entire community. That was I mean, so so let me let me say fact. something that's that's critical. While we're having this conversation, there's a value set that is totally diametrically opposed to anything that most of us have. And you have to understand it's real. That's that's part of this argument. Yes, there's needs to be changes for the community, with the community, but it's no different than a drug addict. I can't want it more than you do when it comes to you getting right. Mm. I can't want this more than you. I have watched people say, I want to be this way. I like it this way. I want someone taking care of me. I don't want to do this. That, to me, was one of the most painful things I had ever seen. Mm. So there's, a, there's another element that has to be addressed. How do you look at a community and start sifting through who's there so you are not casting your pearls before swine? You're spinning your wheels, and there are people who are stuck on stupid. Mm. How do you find out who they are? And so, and so for me, it's, it starts with the children. Right. If I can, if I can start reshaping, there. Uh, there's a, a good friend of mine talks about this farmer who grew a, um, who grew a pumpkin in the shape of a milk carton, and everybody was so excited about it and said, "How did you get this pumpkin to grow into the shape of this milk carton?" And he said, "Well, when it was small enough, I put it in here and it conformed to the shape." And the problem is the shapes that these children are growing in are malformed. And we've yeah. got to give them another shape to grow up in. Okay. So the internal development of the individual does indeed depend upon environment and home life and it does. church life. And, it and, does. And, yeah. But you're, 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 you're really moving in a direction now. So what the city does is they're not going to put the time, money, effort, and energy into all of this. They're just not going to do it. The easiest thing to do, get some investors, change it, boom, look what we've done. Da-da-da-da. But what about these people? They're displaced. They're put over here. They're put over there, right? You, you now have 
I got gangsters that won't, don't want to go in certain areas now. You know, it, this is crazy. Mm. So at the end of the day, if, if we do not start dealing with the people, and I love what this brother said earlier, that these plans are set out decades ahead. Can we plan decades ahead for those who are here? Mm -hmm. Can we put the same level of infrastructure in transforming this so that no matter what everyone, no matter what the powers that be are doing, we've prepared them mm. for change? Responses? Well, I, th I think that it's, this is where that, that conversation of having um, the faith community involved with these conversations is critical. I think that, that part of rebuilding neighborhoods and people, there are some things that the city can do. There are some things that the development community can do. Um, I live in the world now. I work for Insight Development. We're the not-for-profit arm of the Indianapolis Housing Agency. So we do primarily um, multifamily um, housing, but we're working on a single-family home ownership project in Riverside as well. Um, and I've worked in the Northwest area for a long time, but I think that part of, part of what has to happen in terms of planning, and I think you see this more with quality of life plans that engage the full community because they require um, skills uh, that churches in the faith community have that that's part of taking care of our souls and people and moving, changing people's attitudes. Um, but cities are not equipped to do that. Cities are equipped to build streets and, and have public safety and do that. And developers um, come with bricks and sticks and they can look at a building and say that piece of of you know horror that's been blighted and and problematic for a neighborhood if we invest the dollars then the building can change so i think that as these and the quality of life plans are sort of the closest that i see that are sort of across the board that say we're taking into consideration the human need as well as the bricks and sticks and the safety needs and sort of taking those all together and i think um Part of that, part of the success of those kinds of plans is that they empower the people that live in the neighborhood to define what they see as their priority. And then also, ideally, ideally is the key word, that they empower people to move their problems along to the continuum to a successful plan. And so that's, you know, if people are not involved with their own destiny, we're doing something terribly wrong. But I think that it does require everybody to be in their lane moving neighborhoods and communities forward. And there's only a piece that we can all do. We, I, I can't look at the churches and say, we expect the churches to fix everything. And we can't expect the development community to fix everything. Bricks and sticks don't do it because we're all people and the people that reside or work or play in those bricks and sticks, if, if they're still broken, our communities may look pretty, but they are very broken when you walk inside. Yeah, doctor, I'm chiming in. 
Um, it's funny, uh, Wendy, because I was having this conversation. It sounds like one of our community-based programs where wraparound service was the topic of the conversation. Yeah. Where, mm -hmm. um, and, and I think what we've lost in this whole transition in this information world that we live in now, life was so simple mm -hmm. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, to where we didn't have as many dynamics that we're facing to have all these wraparound services, whether it be your city or whether it be your school or whether it be your nonprofit or whether it be your church. We didn't have all these dynamics. It was pretty cut and dry. Um, you went to high school, you graduated, and you got a good job at Chrysler, Ford, Allison's, or someplace like that. Or you went to post-secondary education where you knew you were going to be some type of professional. And now, this world we live in now, it, it calls for so many different agencies to, as you say, make a neighborhood whole. I was thinking when we were talking about gentrification and, and the semantics that are attached and this neighborhood that Corey and I grew up in, and I'm a little bit older than you, Corey. Um, when we moved over into the 34th and Forest Manor, 34th and Sherman Drive area in 1967, I can tell you now, I was one of four black kids at school number one. Mm. Within 18 months, there were about three white kids in my class because right. of the uh, release of the, I mean, the Vietnam War, mm. some of these guys were coming back, getting good jobs. At that time, it was a great neighborhood. Great neighborhood. So everybody was moving in that neighborhood. All it took was about four people to move in in that neighborhood of color. And as they called it, white flight took place. So the whole total reversal of, it's not economics is what I'm saying, because you had people moving in who were making wages that were middle class wages at the time. So we're dealing with something far deeper than <laughs> uh, <coughs> economics and property taxes and all these things that we talk about, we're dealing with another element, too, as well, because I watched it happen value within sets. about eight. Yes, value sets. So, you know, we, we had, and so there's so many things, to, you know, discussing this topic, Mark. This yes. could be a series. Go ahead, Jim. Who, who would have imagined uh, policemen with guns in our schools when we were kids? I mean, just unheard of. So why is that? Well, the family's broken. <laughs> I mean, right at the core of society, the family is broken. And so, unfortunately, the church might be the only place that has the answer for that, um, unless there are systems that are put in place that can prop up the family. And we have systems like that, uh, foster care, but I mean, wow, that's, that's rough. We have other systems, the police uh, come and they do their best, even in the schools, but the police can't do it all. Uh, if you were to take the children from Carmel or Zionsville, the safest communities in America, um, and uh, bring them to IPS and trade the kids from IPS in, what the difference would be would be whether or not their families were intact. And so I think when we start talking about uh, redeveloping things, what Jesus says is if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And he encourages the church. But there's been this brokenness about our morality that says, no, no, this life is all about me. And once life is all about me and not my neighbor, if I'm not considering him first, thinking more highly of that individual than myself, if I don't think about that other person, what, what should I expect except this, this problem? And it plays out. 
So we look at the rich folk who come in and covet uh, the near downtown property. I live, um, I live in a place where we bought our house for about $30,000 20 years ago. It's a big double. And the double behind me sold for 160000 a side as a condo now. I can't believe it. And what changed? Well, all the neighbors are gone. That's what changed, and new neighbors are moving in. Do, do those new neighbors need Jesus? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it would have been nice if we could have found a way to undergird those who stayed, or those who, who might have stayed. But instead, there wasn't any support for them, and now they're moving out to 40th and Post, or to 46th and High School. There's just There's a place for the poor now. And, of course, there's a gentrification, uh, a cycle. Uh, you know, it's historically true that a neighborhood has about 70 years of cycle that it goes through. Well, that's, that's understandable. But when there is a thoughtlessness about caring for the people who are there, then we've got, a, we've got the issues that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. This is a, a multi-threaded fabric that we're dealing with. Warp and woof. Warp maybe. and woof, yeah. So when, when we talk about these issues, there isn't one ideal. There isn't one answer. There isn't one specific response that is going to trump all other responses. Uh, what we need to do is we need to get everybody at these tables, as I've heard everybody say here, Uh, that deals with issues of education and reading, that deals with the issues of making sure the church is involved and invested in the process, that that makes sure that the bricks and sticks folks uh, are connected properly with everybody else at the table. That's pretty important. And HB, go, man. No, I've just been sitting here taking a few notes, and it looks like faith, family, education, economics, inclusiveness, and ownership or places we can start um, yeah. in, in this in this process. And I mean, you know, we we got to, you know, this is a SWOT analysis right here. You mm-hmm. know, we need to take, what can we do to really start thinking about how we rebuild neighborhoods? And now, I guess more importantly, what is a neighborhood in the 21st century? Because when, when and I hate saying this, when I grew up, <laughs> I hate that. But that's all you can read. That's you all you earned can it. Go. You earned it. Don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> but, but, but no, in a, seri- in a serious nature, the school, the church, the little league, everything that included the people of the neighborhood made the neighborhood. And you can come in with all these great dynamic uh, palaces and all of these great ideas and these nice little shops and all of that if you want to. But if the people aren't attached, then you don't have a neighborhood. Let and me, the rallying rallying points of what we've been talking about, the, church, yeah. schools, the uh, ownership of stores and, and, and places where people do merchandising and, mm-hmm. and trade of, of, of goods, uh, that's a neighborhood. But how do we get that back? <laughs> I, Go ahead. Word, we we, we all want to say the word you're looking for is relationship. Yeah. Where there's relationship, yes. there's, there's neighborhood. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a little deeper because there's, there's something, we're dancing around it, so I'm going to say it. So the Bible says something that's really interesting. Uh, if you want to plunder someone's home, you must first bind the strong man. When you look at where it all begins, it's 
fatherlessness. No, it is. You no. say little league. You say all this stuff. That's somebody's daddy playing catch. Mm-hmm. That's someone's father taking an interest. That's some man who's put his boot in your rear from first grade to twelfth, and you did graduate. It wasn't. It wasn't the conversation. You go outside of our neighborhood. It's not the conversation of whether or not you finish high school. It's what college are you going to? Mm-hmm. It, it, the, the conversation is totally different. You've got a. You've got a brokenness. You've got women trying to make men. My Bible says men sharpen men as iron sharpens iron. There is something about a father in the home. You've got young ladies who have respect for themselves because their father sees them as a man would see them and says, baby, what do you got on? Uh, why you got your man getters on? No, sweetheart, you're going to change that. There is, there, is a, there is something that's happening. Now, if nobody wants to say it, I'm going to say it. There is a when you say oh there's a brokenness in the family. This fathers, men who are leading their homes. Let me let me just say this: women don't start wars. They don't go conquering stuff. Men do. There is something about the way that men conduct themselves. The Lord uniquely made us this way, and praise Him for it. But there is a power and a strength. There are no more lions in these houses, and they're being plundered. Mm. Wow. Pastor Corey. We're going to take a break. I think so. I mean, no, because because what I love about this conversation, Doc, is this. It is 100% real, and, and when you – I'm sitting over here getting chills because I know that that's mm-hmm. the problem. But we got people on deaf ear that don't know the first thing about Jesus that are part of the neighborhood as well, and we got to talk to them and figure mm-hmm. out how do we get them – to understand that message, they still need me. I, 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 I mean, I mean, I understand that they're locked up. I, they're, they're, they still need them at home. That's going to come where we come yeah. back. That's what we're going to resonate to because that is the absolute truth. But then, like as as I mentioned, unfortunately, that message is perfect for raising these youngsters up so they'll know how to be a man at that early age. But we're dealing with eighteen, nineteen, twenty-four year old people already out here that don't. Don't have a clue. Right. You're listening to Warp and Wolf Radio on the Cool Groove site. Dr. Mark, you opened up this can of worms. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. TV on the Cool Groove site. And boy, we need Facebook Live up in here on the intermission. And Dr. Mark, I'm going to turn this back over to you. And you said you don't mind if I read this. Go right ahead. Since we're talking about gentrification and we're talking about gentrification is cute, but we're talking about racism, socialism, uh, classism. We're talking about uh, feminism. We're talking about every kind of ism on the category. Um, and we did have a texter text in and ask, uh, or not ask, he made a, converse, uh, a statement about uh, the white population, uh, the preferences that they've made over, you know, the last 200 and some odd years, um, broke African-Americans to a point where some were not able to come back and uh, black folks did not break this themselves and we are inherent we're not inherently broken to whom much is given much is required Um, that's not us we are expected to carry an equal share of this burden and that won't work and I guess I'll summarize when you've been given less and we use this example before if you're in a hundred yard dash other guy starts at the 50-yard line, and then you're carrying 10-pound bricks on your shoulders starting at 100 yards back. The race ain't fair. 
I'll just mention uh, three black scholars who are uh, tend to be conservatives, uh, Jason Riley, Thomas Sowell, and Walter Williams, who would probably take some issue with that particular comment. It's really difficult, and I have to say this out loud to everybody, it's very difficult as a white man to speak to these particular issues. And so what I do is I say to people, you know, you need to go read Jason Riley at the Wall Street Journal. You need to go read Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell. And some of these folks who have spoken, who are black men, who have spoken to these issues in a different way. I, I respect uh, these kinds of comments because they make us think about something else than what our general echo chambers tend to have. And we all have our own echo chambers. Let's make sure that we all hear that. But let's get back to this discussion because we want to emphasize what are we going to do now with this issue. Uh, we've got an hour left. Uh, this is uh, this is no longer the cool groove site. This is the it hot is groove site, man. Wow. It, is, it is going really good up here. <laughs> so we need to get back to what are we going to do about this. I wanted to go to Jim and then Wendy to respond to these issues as it relates to what you think the specifics are involved in this. Well, our topic's been gentrification, but it plays out in very specific ways with the role of men and the brokenness of families. And I have to admit readily the abandonment of the city by the church. Um, I don't have a grudge against Carmel or Zionville. In fact, I bless God for such places. Um, but folk left a generation ago, white folk particularly, and they said, um, you're not going to bust my kid across the street. Or there was some residual racism and said, I don't, I'm not going to have black kids in my community. And for those who stayed, there was great blessing because all of a sudden we had an integrated life and found out, wow, people are people. And we can relate to folk uh, across racial lines, uh, eventually across economic lines. And, and there's great, great benefit there. Um, but on a bad day, I'll joke and say, I'd like uh, Carmel to uh, annex Indianapolis. You know, then we'd be safer, right? Or Zionville to annex Indianapolis. They, they'd handle us. Our, what's broken is at the core of our humanity, and only Christ can fix it, but it is too big a job for any of us. And so our prayers are first on earth as it is in heaven. And I'll tell you, the scripture says God does abundantly more than we ask or think. We need fathers to show men how to be fathers. We need uh, families to show other families how to be families. And some of them who are established in strength need to move back in. Mm -hmm. That just, that's right. And they need to move back in without an agenda. And the agenda is usually, my property value okay? You know, if it, if we have an, an economic agenda, singularly, we don't have a neighborhood agenda. Mm. We're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're not even doing the basics of our Christianity. So Christians have to act like their neighbors matter. Mm. It's, it, it's the measure of our faith. It's the measure of who we are. And when we do that, then we see the whole world through uh, the appropriate set of glasses, and it becomes clear that when my neighbor's sick, I need to get him to the hospital, mm -hmm. That, or I need to start a clinic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, when the children are uneducated and on their way to prison, I need to educate these kids. Mm -hmm. More than that, when they don't have anyone to look up to, we need to be people that they can look up to. Mm -hmm. 
I think part of that that uh, that conversation around community building is is the notion of relationship, but being intentional. Yes. And I think that that's that's part of what has been been talked about the the need to to matter, the need to step into something and not ignore it. And I think the family is, our families are in crisis, and we, and we know that. Um, but I think at the, at the core, when you're talking about gentrification and you're talking about neighborhood redevelopment or transitioning, that communities um, are defined by the people who participate so you can live in a neighborhood it, it, it doesn't matter whether it's a a wealthy neighborhood like Zionsville um, or one of the the neighborhoods in our inner city there are places and pockets of communities where people do look out for their neighbor and they're concerned um, and class and beautiful buildings don't have anything to do with that. I think the challenge is creating more of that. Um, I certainly agree that the family is the essence of that, but you also, I think, in the church, have to be continuing, and the people that are here are not, I'm preaching to the choir, um, but the, the, some of the churches, um, I think the message of, going beyond themselves is is really important and critical in keeping us all healthy in terms of communities um, and really caring for each other um, is the way that we have healthy communities mm -hmm. um, is it, it it is the people at the core and being in relationship with people who have issues that are weird and funky and uncomfortable and don't look like anything that maybe we've encountered before, but embracing those and being being real, um, being real in that. Yeah, please. I'd like to uh, address the the message that came in because there is a there's a reality to what was said that there was a there was one system against another. And blacks didn't necessarily get themselves here on their own. They're, they had a whole lot of help. And that the, the analogy of the bricks and starting the race at a, at a deficit is very real. But I, I want to talk about something that, that I have shared many times uh, with folks, and it's access. So if I live somewhere and this kid says oh yeah i've been i've been skiing before i've done horseback riding i've worked with this i've i've been over here i've been over here i've been over here and you go wow how did you do that oh well my dad's friend owns this so i got a chance to work with them for the summer or i went with my friend's family and we did this so even if one person doesn't have it all you've got this access all around you that exposes the young people. So when that gentleman talks about, hey, we didn't get here by ourselves, those who move into the community need to be a part of the community. They need to not, so even if it's, even if you've got the, in, you know, the inverted white flight, now they're flying back in, right? You can't sit here and say, oh, I don't want you here. You're a problem. 
No, I want you here, and I want you to be a part of the fabric of this community. So now you are a, you are a, a, a point of access for my children. You are an icon for my children. You are encouraging my children. Do we want people who have the same faces? Yeah, people love it when it's black folks that are doing it. But if you're starting at a deficit, you can't curse the wind. Make a sailboat. You, it, it, it's, it's plain and simple, right? You want to make sure, because I have to agree with the person who wrote in. Yes, it, it's a comprehensive thing, but you're still asking them to be icons for family. So I was a kid, and my education started off my history. Some white folks can tell you where they're from. They can tell you I'm from Ireland, I'm from here, I'm from here. Mine started off, you were a slave. So... I couldn't tell you today what tribe I come from, what nation, none of that, right? But my my icons, and are you going to laugh at me? I used to watch the Brady Bunch. And I thought, <laughs> man, I'd like to have that family. But there was an icon. What? How much more powerful would that have been for me had that icon been next door? Mm -hmm. Had that icon been across the street? Had that person had me exposing me? taking me, allowing me, how much more powerful would that be? So I, I do want to speak to that because I do agree. I don't want fatherlessness to be a distraction, but it really is a core issue. Taking advantage of, of all that God brings into a community is the only right thing, and to build uh, uh, connections. In fact, Corey and I built a connection when they came. Uh, he said, listen, God has given us this church building right around the corner from you. And I said, brother, a church <laughs> on every corner. <laughs> we need you desperately. And we were so glad when Nehemiah Bible Church was established right down the street. And then we could lock arms with, with others as well down the street. The problem with gentrification as opposed to just development or redevelopment is when people who are there feel forced out. So if they are forced out and there are systems that will do that, like the health department came through my neighborhood mm -hmm. at one point and everybody complained, mm -hmm. including the developers. Mm -hmm. They're hitting our house hard, mm -hmm. naming every possible um, broken window. Now, they've mm -hmm. lightened up. Well, that was a system. The system came and oppressed. When when that happens, the neighborhood has to rise up. The problem is we're already so disjointed in a broken neighborhood, mm -hmm. we don't know how to rise up. So right. we, we're just alone, and then off we go um, as individuals. So the answer to uh, these problems come, to, come from locking arms and being in community. This is uh, uh, consistently uh, a joyous conversation. And I say that it's joyous because once you expose the problem and once you begin to talk about we see some of these elements that are going to make a difference in how we approach this particular problem, now we want to bring the joy into the celebration and talk about, okay, what's being done right now to deal with the problems? So I, I would really like to hear from all of you about what specifically is going on in your neighborhoods that 
maybe is uh, something that is helping people. Uh, Corey, you mentioned the word access, for instance, the necessity of access to uh, benefits to people uh, in general terms. Uh, Jim, I know that you've got some very specific uh, programs that are going on down our neighborhood. And I'm sure, Wendy, you could point to some issues, uh, some folks that are doing good around the neighborhood, as it were, uh, Titus III style. So uh, let's just go around the table again and start that discussion about what is bringing joy to the neighborhoods, what's happening right now. So we have uh, at Nehemiah, uh, we have wealth and welfare sitting in the same congregation, mm-hmm. black, white, young, old, uh, and We've got some folks who have moved out of the suburbs, sold their homes, Mm -hmm. and moved right into our community. They didn't move in and become silos. They became icons, opened their homes, opened Mm -hmm. their lives, and are engaging with people. And it is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I read this somewhere. Um, You guys can help me if you know where it's at. They will know you are my disciples Hmm. by your love for Hmm. one another. Now, I've read that somewhere before. Somewhere I I saw that. And (laughs) it it speaks volumes to a a world that has police shootings, that has um, race issues, that have uh, political systems that are polarized. When you see, for some reason, these people are neighbors, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and one of the one of the coolest things, and I'll, I'll be quiet till it's my turn to speak again, <laughs> is hospitality. Now, I've been really hammering mm-hmm. people with hospitality, mm-hmm. and here's why: if someone knocks on your door, you want them to call first. But when you look <laughs> when you look at scripture and it talks about hospitality, there was no phone, so someone mm-hmm. could stop by your home and you would stop what you were doing. You would engage with those who have come. You will greet them. You will entertain them. You don't feel put out of place. There is uh, a very real thing. There's a, a gentleman who uh, who moved into the community from the suburbs, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, you know, in the suburbs, everybody has a back deck. But here in the hood, here in Brookside, everybody has a front porch. Mm-hmm. It just says something about how we engage and interact, and mm. and it's making a profound difference. Mm. We embraced what the Apostle Paul says, be all things to all men that you might win some. And so we don't see poverty as the lack uh, and a problem that has to be solved. And this is what I mean. James writes, don't you know that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Why would we want to relieve people of riches in faith? We wouldn't. Um, We would want them to use that resource. So they bring their resource along with those who moved in who have brought their education. We have a pharmacist who runs our school. Um, We have other people who volunteer their time. And lately, uh, in the last eight years, we have seen the largest student-run clinic in the nation uh, start. It's called the IU Student Outreach Clinic. And it started as a cholesterol check and high blood pressure, that health fair type of thing. And then someone rolled up their arm and said, I got this rash. And a doctor wrote a prescription. What a beautiful thing. 
Um, and then that person came to the church leaders, and we did what we do, um, and reached for our pockets and handed out $4 at a time to send folk to Walmart. Um, and someone brilliant said, why don't we ask uh, Butler in, and they bring a free pharmacy. Uh, so IU, Butler, the University of Indianapolis, and 12 of their schools come every Saturday to Neighborhood Fellowship and serve the poor. It's amazing. But the beauty is that the poor then serve them by saying, Let, let's share our faith with you. Mm -hmm. And we find a wonderful, delightful partnership where students who really want to uh, practice what they've learned uh, they get a chance to practice early and get greater skills. And so hospitals talk about having interdisciplinary medicine. These students have gone well beyond that. They have interprofessional medicine because we have lawyers, physical therapists, occupational therapists, um, social workers, and all these medical folk who come and help. So a study was done about three years ago at IU and our zip code had the least emergency run runs hmm. for the county. Well, that's impossible, um, except there's this clinic. Well, I've said to them, we have the worst mortality rate. People die younger in Indianapolis than any country or any city in the, in the, than America. Maybe, maybe our zip code could change. Hmm. We could become number two. <laughs> so there are, there are things that happen, but they happen because people love their neighbor as themselves. It's just that simple. Um, and, you know, there are other churches. Inglewood is doing mm -hmm. wonders with um, some of their housing for the elderly. We just praise God that there are people who do care, and they are stepping forward. Mm -hmm. um, but... but I don't know that enough will be enough until Jesus comes. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. There's always work for all of us. Yes. And I think uh, I think that the the examples that have been just talked about, I think the critical piece in that is the collaboration between people with different skill sets. And I think that at the end of the day, that's how we get to healthier communities mm -hmm. is this notion that everybody brings something to the party and that every um, everything is needed uh, all of our tools all of our gifts are needed to create places where people can thrive mm -hmm. and so that you know I'm I, I'm excited I know I work very closely with Inglewood and I uh, I think what's happening um, in your community is really extraordinary um, in terms of people and churches really creating sort of an enclave, enclave of this is this is what we want we want people who are healthy we want a community that puts people first um, and that that other things when people are healthy other things will follow um, I do think it's important in this conversation around um, gentrification that we cannot we can't lose sight of people, but we can't lose sight of its economics. It's interesting, HB, that you talked about this community of, and I'm not from Indianapolis, so I don't have that history, so these glimmers I'm always interested in. How does a community that goes from being 
a middle class black community neighborhood of choice, which is what I heard you say about Forest Manor. Yes. Um, to a neighborhood that is now challenged with the highest homicide rate, definitely in our city, and I don't know if it's still on the national map, but what happens when you have prosperity, people who have middle-class values, who've been educated, and they have a, a community, what happened to have that bottom fall out when... You know, it was white flight, but it was our folks who had intact families, who had a livable wage. They worked at, they had great manufacturing jobs and they did all of those things. They were professional people. And then the bottom of that community fell out. What, where do, where do we have responsibility in that? I, I think you have responsibility to a certain point, but almost like the texter said, there are some things that are manufactured and fabricated to where you don't have control. Um, I can say this. I, I gave the, the boundary, 38th, 34th, and Keystone, 38th, 34th, and Emerson. We had four IPS schools and not one now. I'm just saying, we had School 69, School 73, School 71, School 1, and we had St. Andrew's Catholic School right there in the heart of that neighborhood. We also had the loss of um, those factory jobs that we were talking about Correct. that made these people middle class. So, I mean, it can be manufactured. So everything that kept the neighborhood together that we were speaking about earlier was taken out of that neighborhood, which left now this barren. We don't have grocery stores in that area. Uh, we don't have any owners of business in that area. Correct. So, so now you're dealing with this barren land where everybody's uh, uh, there to kind of fend for for themselves, and the ones, the haves and the have-nots, start eating off one another, and that's that's pretty much how you know uh, poverty happens, and how mm -hmm. ghettos happen, and how gentrification happens. Um, you know, once you remove all the elements of any type of economic success any type of family success any kind of educational success now you're scampering to say that's the reason i asked you that question Corey. it wasn't to be facetious it was being what's left in 34th and sherman if you're raising a family or if you're doing anything what was left over there for for you to say let me build my neighborhood well and do you remember when the zoo left exactly i mean anything and everything that you can think about that made the neighborhood was taken out so you know to answer your question before we go on our last break that that's what can happen and it's happening over the city in areas that they target where we want to take this little land over or we don't really care about um the the value of that neighborhood because it has nothing to really offer the city from a financial standpoint it might be crass but Hell, that's usually what I see is where the money's at is where the uh, where the goods go. Follow the money. Follow, Follow the, money. the money. Let's take our last break. Dr. Mark, you awful quiet over here today. Hey, man, that's great. I'm just listening and learning. Radio TV on the Cool Groove site. Gentrification. I never knew it would stir up so much daggone dust, Dr. Mark. You are a bad man up in there. I know Virginia's sitting up there cringing. Uh, Love you, mama. No, but uh, one last thing, though, Wendy, too, is we talked about, you know, what happened, what happened, what happened. And uh, when we start looking at the dollar value of net assets of uh, just let's just take African-Americans and whites. Uh, $110,000 net assets versus $5,000 net assets. 
that eliminates ownership of anything. Right. That, you know, we talk about financial literacy. I'm like, how do you have financial literacy when you don't have anything mm -hmm. to read, you know, so to speak? Um, so when we start talking about the breakdown of neighborhoods and communities, especially when we're talking about particularly African-Americans or disenfranchised people, the game is so slanted to even participate in owning your neighborhood, owning what goes on in your neighborhood. Man, we, mm -hmm. as, I guess I'm a back away from the table on that one and let you guys yeah. finish this conversation. Well, let me uh, set this last segment up here uh, by reading scripture and, and ahead of that to say this. Uh, one of the uh, issues that I feel is very important for myself as a Euro-American man is to say to the African-American community, I want to reach out. I want to make sure that we hear your voice. Uh, we want to make sure that you are invested and involved. And the thing that I can do, the giftedness that God has given to me is communication. So the issues that we have here on this particular program, uh, we always want to hear the African-American voice. We always want to be invested in the, in the community. How much we can do, we will do as much as we can do, but our primary goal in this program is going to be the communication value. And in that sense of things, I wanted to read this uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then I want to dive into the issues of how can uh, folks who are outside the community best help. So here's what Scripture says, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, the principal focus of this show, by the way, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, and thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And that good foundation for the future is eternal. We are basically making friends for eternity. So, as we come into the last 20 minutes or so of this show, I would like all of you to invest your time, uh, your responses to this particular question. How can anybody outside of your communities in the city invest their wealth, their time, their talent, their abilities? How can they best participate in this? I'm going to start at the other end of the table. Wendy, if you wouldn't mind leading us off, how is it best that other people participate in the community that needs help? I, I think, again, that people really need to be intentional, mm -hmm. um, to be in relationship with people. And whether that is through the churches, whether that is with their neighbors, whether it is with their crazy colleagues, um, it could be a multitude of places where you reach beyond yourself. Um, I think that uh, Corey clearly um, has talked about fatherhood, but I think that children are our hope. Um, and I think that that is where energy has to be focused in terms of um, providing them what they need, the pillars in the community, um, exposure to a multitude of different things that they find their gifts and that they can become pillars in their community. You don't have to be an adult to be a pillar in mm -hmm. the community. And um, I think that we really need to be focused on um, the intentionality of, I think it was interesting that you talked about um, 
uh, design of homes in suburbs that have back decks mm -hmm. and often fences mm -hmm. so that you're not in community mm -hmm. with your neighbor. Um, and I think that one of the things that we do as urban developers is to be very intentional about front porches mm -hmm. and shared spaces and that streets and the front part of your home becomes how you are engaged with your neighborhood. Um, and just by sitting on the front porch, you're more available to whatever's happening. That might be a conversation with your neighbor as they're walking down the street. Um, it might be, you know, being the lookout for something that's that shouldn't be happening might be correcting the kid that's walking down the street whatever it is if you are um, in the front and part of your community rather than in the backyard in a fence um, that that is a very different position and I think that that's I think that's one of the things where cities just with the bricks and sticks and the way that cities are designed that's a benefit that's just a built-in inherent benefit that we need to um, participate and utilize mm -hmm. and that the front porch needs to be the gathering spot um, <laughs> and and allowing yourself to sit on the front porch and have a cup of coffee and be open to what happens mm -hmm. um, and then that allows um, that sort of that seed of of being in relationship with people that you might not have been in relationship before but I think that those, I mean, when, when we talk about bricks and sticks and community building, we do that intentionally. Um, if you look at Fall Creek Place, um, all of those homes were designed with front porches. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was not an over, I mean, that was not an accident. That was, that was by design um, to keep people connected to mm -hmm. the people that they live with. And I think that, that I think that that healthy communities um, have different people there. Mm. People who are wealthy, people who are challenging, people who are uh, scholars, people who are um, just a variety of people. And I think that's really, at the end of the day, um, what's critical is, is communities that are healthy embrace the differences and allow for the differences to occur. Mm. Um, and then we're in a better position, I believe, um, to, to follow the biblical principles of allowing relationships to happen that um, are more natural and more sustainable and impactful. Mm. There are some really great things going down uh, over uh, Harrison Center for the Arts. Uh, Joanna Taft uh, and her group over there has actually made porch a verb. So they, they are porching uh, constantly. And it's a wonderful thing to see. You know, they're posting on Facebook all the time about that. It is. It's a marvelous thing to see. And this, I, I, um, I love what's happening there. But I would wager to say that black folks have been porching for a long time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so now go. we've termed it. Um, and it's kind of, uh, you know, it has a different connotation, mm -hmm. but I would encourage people to continue to do that. Um, and I think that there was a lot of intentionality around that, but that's, that's where black folks have gathered because that's, 
where we live and we reside. Mm -hmm. We live in urban areas with front porches. We've been porching for a while. And, and there wasn't any air conditioning. That, true that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and if you drive through um, the neighborhoods, that's where, that's where people of color have gathered for a long mm -hmm. time. And so I think that the, the notion of porching is, is great for people in Zionsville who've had decks and they've been in the back deck, and now maybe the porch idea is associated with with white return to to urban areas, mm -hmm. and that's that's a language that gets uh, uh, is comfortable. Um, but I think that the notion is 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 real. Jim, jump in here. Well, just as you were saying, diversity matters. Uh, that's the case of heaven. Uh, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, that's, that's heaven. And uh, so uh, uh, a community that looks like that uh, is uh, the blessed community. But to get there, uh, when Jesus talks about uh, making a difference in anybody's life, loving, loving your neighbor as yourself, he tells the Good Samaritan story. And the Good Samaritan story is an individual took responsibility to help where there was need. And he went all the way through the process. And see, that's what I would say to those outside. I would say, listen, you need to be generous and share just as uh, Paul instructed Timothy to tell those who are rich in this world's goods, be generous and share and not neglect the doing of good. Um, but uh, if you're going to do that, make sure you understand you have a personal responsibility to make a difference in the individual's lives that uh, God has put in front of you. And so um, when I talk to folk, I often say you have a retirement program, I'm sure. Somewhere in your world you've thought about this. How about thinking about the eternal uh, retirement program when you stand before God and he rewards you for the good behavior the good uh, works you did on behalf of, as Corey would say, um, the stranger, the widow, the orphan. When, when we look at those who are outside of the community, one of the things that I think you, you have to say is fear. It's real. There is a, a fear of who am I engaging with, how will it be perceived, uh, what will what will people think I'm doing right and and I think it's I think it's okay to deal with that but you have to you have to be willing to engage I want to read something you you read a scripture so I'm going to chime in this is Leviticus chapter 19 verse oh, 9 oh yes preach it says when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest in other words don't use up all that you have. You make sure you leave some. Mm -hmm. So the uh, probably the biggest things, particularly in dealing with the fear, is you vet the people you're engaging with. Because here's another fear. How do I know that who I'm dealing with is the real thing? How do I know this isn't, I'm not getting a flim flam. I'm not getting somebody running a game on me. I'm not being race baited. I'm not being guilted. This isn't some sort of whatever. Right. Uh, I, I heard something recently that really struck me that white privilege is the new iteration of white supremacy. You use those terms and it still comes off 
condescending. And it's like, wow, that, that really, that, that struck me deep. And so I, I think it's important that everybody engaged has a genuine relationship, which means you're gonna have to come out of your comfort zone. You're gonna have to get to know people. You might need to know somebody who knows somebody. That way you'll know somebody. You may not have a direct link or direct connection to someone, but man, you can find people who are connected with things find, and, and really be intentional on, I am going to do something, I am going to make a difference. Don't talk about it, be about it. Do not throw the money over the fence, make sure you come with it because that relationship means everything. Mm. So, so many times we hear this uh, phrase being used that folks from the suburbs parachute in but parachutists actually uh, end up fighting the battles, uh, the frontline battles. So the, maybe we should change the metaphor on that uh, in, in some other way. They blow in, blow up, and blow out. Oh, look at that. <laughs> there it is. That'll preach, boy. That'll preach right there. So here we have this uh, very, very specific concern, and that is that everybody become involved. Uh, coming back to Wendy's good term, of course, the intentionality of all of this, how will we set ourselves up in such a way that we will participate? So last question, uh, last interaction here before uh, we end today, how can we encourage this? Okay, we've talked about what we can do. We've talked about uh, what others have done, maybe even what you all have done, but how are we going to encourage, entice, allure suggests that hey can how can we do this so one at a time what would you say how can we encourage people to participate well one of them is what is what we're doing now this is counterculture to everything that I am I don't like to talk about it I don't want to uh, Jim has said things to me Corey you need to do this Corey you need to do that Corey you need to do this and I don't want to do any of it because I just want to I just want to do the work, and I don't want to do it with fanfare. But there is something about making people aware of what's happening that's, that's critical. And also that there are, there are healthy avenues of engagement. Hmm. Everything is not a stump grinder. There are, there are like-minded people that are really trying mm -hmm. to make a difference, and they're willing to engage with you, and they're from different ethnic backgrounds. There are people from the hood who have their heads screwed on, right? And and it's important that forums like this and, you know, whatever you guys make available for people to plug in and they say, hey, you know, I heard this. How can I be involved? How do I get a hold of Jim? How do I find out what's going on over, over here at Nehemiah? How do I, you know, and, and you're able to plug them in. Because if you're going to make, if you're going to put yourself out here in the public forum, you also need to be prepared to be a hub. There you go. Right. That's right. You, you're kind of a traffic cop, and now you're going to start directing people. And, and, and you need to vet them, too, you know, yeah. so, that, so you know that you're sending people because your reputation is on the line. Right. Right. So, so who are these people you're bringing in here? They're, it's great. I mean, I mean, man, some people got fantastic mouths. They can mm -hmm. do all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But what are they really doing? Yeah. And I think that's critical. And before uh, Jim and Wendy jump in, just I'll, I'll say this uh, from my perspective. Even last evening when we were at the Avondale Y, we were dealing with mental health issues. And I was there, and HB asked me, would you share the story of your son? 
look, this is not a class issue. This is not an ethnic issue. This is this has no bearing on where you grew up. We're talking about something that's that has to do with our humanity. How do we re, uh, reach each other and talk with each other as human beings, one human being to another? We can talk about all these things, but until you're right, until I'm willing to step out and step in to where somebody else lives and go down to the Avondale Y, for instance, then I don't really have any say-so. But if I actually step out and say, hey, can, can, I, can I listen to you and you'll listen to me? And what I find all the time is that people are reaching back. That's what I find constantly doing this program. Jim and Wendy, you guys have the last word. If we're going to make a difference, we need to be in line with what God is already doing. But the beauty is that God has created us in his image. And so every interaction with every person can be dealt with in this one regard. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We have no reason to be afraid, though that's a natural uh, part. But we can step outside of that because, uh, again, the scripture says God's not given us a, a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how does that go? But of power and love, love and a sound, sound mind. mind. If we're going to love, then we're going to be in line with what God's already doing, blessing those people that he already loves. And, and I'll tell you, I know a few farmers who have instructed me on how to live life. And I know some folk who are in the inner city who have instructed me on how to live life. And it's because God had already visited those people before I ever got there. Mm. So I just get in line with what the Lord's doing. Mm. I, I think I'm going to let Jim have the last word on that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The image of God. The image of God. There and, you go. and love is the powerful thing. And yep. we all need to learn how to love better. And Wendy's word, loving people, no matter what, no matter where, no matter who, that's the real issue for us. And we will continue to bring these kinds of issues uh, uh, forward on this particular program, Work and Woof Radio, uh, sponsored by the Cominius Institute every single week, Wednesday, 10 to 12. And we are always glad that you join us. The podcasts will come out in a couple of days, and you can uh, tell folks to talk about these kinds of things and listen to the kinds of comments that were made today. We are grateful uh, not only for this uh, venue, but also for uh, the opportunities that we have in this city. And so it uh, behooves us to thank those who uh, keep us safe, to those who have provided uh, water that we can drink, to those who have provided energy that keep us warm. All of those kinds of things, uh, we want to make sure uh, to honor them as well. And so uh, as we end this particular program this week, I want to mention next week, uh, we're going to have to Pastor G in the house. Pastor John Gurton's going to be here. And we are going to be talking about his follow-up to the unconference that I attended. It was a great opportunity to uh, listen to other folks and to see what's going on in the educational world. Uh, he will actually be joining us on the front end of the program, 10 o'clock next week. You won't want to miss that. Pastor G uh, next week. And then in a couple of weeks, we have a couple of our veterans who are going to be here. Uh, we are looking forward to that. Cliff's sitting right across over there looking at me. We're really gl- glad, glad for their new show on Fridays. And you want to give a listen to them. Uh, come in a couple of weeks and you'll be hearing them on this particular show. We're grateful again for the opportunity to be in your homes and in your podcasts, in your earbuds. This week, this day, we give glory and praise to Jesus for he alone is worthy. 
We'll see you next week, 10 to 12 on Wednesday, Warp and Woof Radio. God is not on the absent cool groove side of Radio Next. This is how one Comenius Institute student sees our work at IUPUI. Hi, I'm Dr. Mark Eckel. Multiple studies show that 75% of Christian young people may leave the church altogether after attending public universities. One of the key ingredients to maintaining Christian faith commitment through college is personal, spiritual investment in students. We are committed to spending time with Christian young people. The Comenius Institute, where Christian wisdom and college life meet.